102. We're so happy that you're here on a Wednesday. It's Wednesday slash, slash Friday in this class, okay? Yes. So yes. this is like our Friday. We're doing the schedule here again. Great to see you. We're also doing this schedule next week. That's right. And then, is it one week after that too? I think too? it's one week after that, yes. Oh, when <laughs> we have the final on well, March 4th. March 4th. I mean, not final. Midterm. Midterm. Midterm exam, the <laughs> wishful, exam. Wishful Let's just thinking. call it an exam on March 4th. Yes, um, yes. You're, we're hoping that your section leaders will be reaching out to you to have coffee. I've reached out to my section. Section, mm -hmm. you my don't section come. Knows where I'm if going my section to be doesn't come to the coffee thing I invited you to on Friday at 11 a.m., I know what you have on your schedule. It's this. So <laughs> what are you doing? Okay, the 20 of you out there. That's what I'm asking you. Okay. Good job. Good use, of, good use of good use of time. Good use of time. Yeah, that's what I. That's how. Yeah. That's how I'm doing. Yeah, it. yeah. And um, we just Dr. Doak just sent out the last call for dinner with a faculty member. Yep. We're really excited about that. So sign up for that. Today is the last call for that. So we're hoping to connect with you during this lacuna in the section time. Mm -hmm. We're here for you. We're available. Yes. And that is that. Gosh, yeah. I felt so um, inspired in, in some ways by the lecture on Monday. Dr. Me too. Dr. Edwards is such a great speaker, isn't She's she? She's amazing. Yeah, we I can all she learn great. from just learning the cadence of good speaking and how to do it and so mm -hmm. on. And she brought up a really provocative topic, namely this idea of, not an idea, but like the, the member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. That's I was really right. taken by that. Yeah, I thought, I, I was really taken by it too, especially in just kind of a crazy week, crazy time. And I know that today is the day that we're going to have a debate up here, and I, it's been really crazy. I'm not even sure, like, <laughs> who's going to no, show up We have for no one it. out there. Our schedule has fallen apart in some ways. Yes. We've done a pretty tight ship here, but it's not perfect, okay? Like, yes. don't expect perfection. But I think, though, okay, regardless, though, I think Dr. Edwards' lecture raised a really fascinating point, which somebody wrote up on the board. Yes. Not you or me, somebody. Yeah, definitely. Which is, the spirit. what are we, uh, and she talked about some pretty serious things that the Holy Spirit could do, giving people words of knowledge or working miraculous things in the world, not only from her own experience, but also scripture. The question is, what should we expect today exactly about that kind of involvement in the world? Like, are we supposed to yeah. expect that now, and to what degree? And I know that you all were thinking about that too, because you responded um, on your reaction papers, and mm -hmm. also you responded in your dinner invitations. I think probably the biggest response we got was uh, wanting to talk more about the role of yeah. the Spirit. And it's something that you and I were talking about yeah. a little bit. And sometimes when we have conversation, we like argue a little bit back and forth. And we thought maybe we should have, you know, a discussion well, what's your, wait, about what is the role of the Holy Spirit. What's your, I mean, what's, what's, what's your view? Do you think that the Holy Spirit today should be seen as maximally involved in people's lives with signs and wonders and things, or more minimally involved? Well, I, I come from the charismatic tradition, so I'm kind of a go big or go home person. I'm like, let's go for it, maximally. What about you? I think I have a more minimal stance. It sounds kind of grinchy and toolish, I think, like, <laughs> you know, but actually I think it's, it's the right mature view, more minimally, actually. Well, should we, like, argue about it? Should we just do this, are you saying? Yeah, just I think like we should do there? a debate. Just off the cuff, yeah. right now? Yeah, but well, who? Okay, but who's going to moderate the debate? Wow, well, the best person that I could think of for that yeah. would be Dr. Sarita Edwards. Welcome back out, Dr. Sarita Edwards, everybody. Dr. Sarita Edwards, moderate. come and moderate. She's coming. Here she comes. She She's comes. coming. <laughs> we give it over to her. Now, remember the guidelines for the debate? There are no winners and losers. 
Each person will be assuming a position that is traditionally Christian, but they may or may not hold to every aspect of it. And I forget what the last one is. Do you remember? <laughs> no, I think that's it. I think that's it. I think that's it. I think the battle is on. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so as you remember, each person who's going to be debating is going to be talking for seven minutes. And so I believe Dr. Doak is going first. And so he's going to be talking about how active is the spirit in the world today. And he's taking the position that it's minimally, minimally involved and then Dr. Payne, maximally. Uh, so w let's invite Dr. Doak to come up. You have seven minutes. We all know this will come up when you have one more minute uh, left. <laughs> I know I'm going to get cut off. Have you started it? Oh, you started it already. How involved is God in the world? Should Christians have an expectation that we should be praying for and seeing the kind of miracles that we see in the Bible? Expecting the power of the Holy Spirit to show us miraculous signs in the world, heal the sick, maybe even raise the dead. My answer to this question is basically no, we shouldn't. Not usually. Is God involved in the world? Totally. Always. Do we need to calibrate our expectations of how that looks and be honest about our actual experience in the world? Yes. Yes, I think we do. This will lead to the conclusion, which I'm promoting here today, that we should have more minimal expectations about the Holy Spirit's miraculous activity in the world today. And by the way, this is not a bad thing. This is not a loss. I'm not, a, I'm not the cynic or the unbeliever here. Rather, this view is a basic, solid, thoughtful, mature, and Christian perspective of our predicament as humans in a situation that Christians like to call the already but the not yet. Have you ever heard that phrase before in your life used in terms of Christianity? Maybe not, so it's a new phrase. The already but the not yet. We speak of our faith in this way sometimes. Let me be clear. All Christians believe in prayer and that God is active in the world. And I want to clarify that the argument I'm making here today is not what some people would call deism. Deism would be the, classically the idea that God just created the, work, the world like a watch and just like totally left and just watches it kind of tick along and has no involvement. That's not my argument. I'm not a deist. No one's a deist here, okay? Rather, what I want to suggest is something that's more nuanced in a matter of degree. So three areas of discussion here. Area number one, I want to talk about gullibility and faith. Number two, I want to talk about science, and I want to talk about tempting God. And number three, I want to talk about prayer, okay? So, topic one. Those who take a more maximalist view of God's miraculous activity in the world today have no shortage of anecdotes and stories of God doing miraculous things. I've heard many of these stories, and I've sometimes been really inspired by them. And as a Christian who believes God is active in the world today, I do not blanket discount any of them at all. However, I think we have a responsibility not to be gullible. Faith for Christians is different from gullibility or just believing things because it seems inspiring or because someone that you like or trust said it. That's a simple point that probably everyone would agree with, but I want to establish that at least. False reports of miracles exaggerated stories, and dubious second-hand accounts hurt faith. False accounts of things that did not happen hurt faith. I'm concerned that my worthy, in fact, actually, indeed, superior debate partner on this topic is going to attempt to minimize just what a problem these fake or ambiguously interpreted miracle stories are for honest faith for a lot of people. I'm contending that they're a big problem. The claim that God routinely works miraculously in the world today, just like in the Bible, is a claim that is also deeply problematic in light of our basic everyday experience. 
Let me take up an extreme example. There are others, but sometimes extremes help get us into the mood. Uh, a problem for us to think about, the miracle of raising the dead. That's not only something that Jesus does in the Gospels, but it's also something that Jesus' disciples, like Peter and Paul, do. as a reference to it also in Hebrews chapter 11. So it's not just an Old Testament thing or not just, in, not just a, a Jesus thing, also something that occurs in narratives after Jesus. Which could raise the question, like, is, is that something you should expect to see in your life? I guess I just ask you openly, and, you know, there's a, there's a rejoinder to this, but I'll let my debate partner make it and then offer a rejoinder to the rejoinder, namely, do you see that happening? Do you see people raised from the dead in the world? Would you, and I ask you too, and this is uncomfortable, I realize, especially if you've lost someone recently, um, but I just, I, I want to ask, would you be comfortable pray, praying for someone to be raised for the dead at a funeral? Like an actual corpse, like there in that moment. I've actually been at a funeral where that happened. I thought it was psychologically da damaging and spiritually not a good practice. I could say more about that later, but I'm going to just leave that one right there. Um, this example of rising from the dead is like an extreme version of a miracle, but I want to ask you this. How can you logically separate those kind of miracles from other more, let's say, low-key kind of miracles also? I'm not sure what the, what the qualifications would be to separate those kinds of, of things. So should this be normative in your experience? So that's my, okay, that's point number one. Uh, point number two. I want to talk about science. Some people might want to suggest that God is minimally involved in the world today because we have science. We have technology, we have reason, we have learning. In a sense that we used to need God in the past for wild, miraculous things, but we actually don't anymore. I don't believe this. I believe that we need awe and wonder and a sense of the otherworldly. And it's not just like we need it, like psychologically, but that it's really real and it's all around us. But we have to have eyes to see the many ways God works in the world, and those ways aren't always big explosive fireworks. Do we have new technical responsibilities that first century AD Christians did not have to act based on the power we've acquired? Yes, I think we do. I don't want my heart surgeon praying in tongues. I need her to cut me open and operate on me with her med school knowledge. Remember that Christian reform movements and principles paved the way for modern science and discovery, and this is no less of a miracle in the sense of awe and wonder and power than laying hands on someone and praying for heart valves to be healed. It doesn't look so spectacular, maybe. It may lack a certain kind of awe and wonder, but actually it has a an awe and wonder of another kind. I accept this as God's gift. Sometimes I hear invoked this idea, well, God is not doing miracles in America or the West anymore because we're too proud or we don't have faith. But in XYZ place, different cultures have different uh, ways of talking about experience. And I deeply respect, even if I don't practice, other cultural ways of talking about miracles and seeing the world as alive with God. That's awesome. But it is also the case that just because people claim XYZ thing is happening in XYZ place, that doesn't mean it's One true. One minute. Luke chapter 4 has an amazing story where Jesus is tempted by Satan to actually do miracles. Like, throw yourself off the temple, turn stones into bread, and Jesus says something really profound. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Do not tempt God. So in the end, this topic calls me to examine my prayer life. Is my prayer life essentially casting the Holy Spirit in the role of a genie or a vending machine? For whose glory are we actually working when we seek constant signs and wonders? We may say it's God's, but I wonder. We have to be very careful that our life of prayer and faith doesn't drift into superstition or, or magical belief that I can manipulate God in the universe. And I'm going to end right there. Beautiful. Thank Jake, you so thank you. much. Dr. Doak. Thank you, Dr. Doak. Yeah. So if we are to take the words and person of Jesus Christ seriously, 
I submit to you that we ought to embrace a maximal role for the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, if you grew up in churches that call themselves charismatic or Pentecostal, you are probably already familiar with the fact that the Apostle Paul, an early architect of the church and one of its greatest missionaries in 1 Corinthians 14.1, and I'm going to use a lot of Bible here. I think the Bible is on my side for this one. Um, Instructs believers to pursue love and strive for the spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. Now, 1 Corinthians 12 lists several different wonder-working powers as gifts from the Spirit of God, and those include... To, those, or to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the, spirit, by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to, an, to another prophecy, to another discernment of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are activated by one and the same Spirit who allots to each one individually as the Spirit chooses. Now history is full of believers following the words of Paul, And I could regale us all with story after story of believers empowered to do great works by ecstatic, mystical experiences and by wonder-working, empowered by the Spirit of God. Perpetual infelicity, Augustine of Hippo, Julian of Norwich, Francis of Assisi, Martin Luther even, John Wesley, William Seymour, my gal, Amy Semple McPherson, and many, many more. Believers in the 21st century ought to embrace and pursue that wonder-working power of the Holy Spirit in their daily lives, not just because Paul tells them to do this, although that's actually a pretty good reason, and not just because, as Dr. Edwards taught us on Monday, the Spirit has been present in the, and a present person of the Godhead with us and active throughout time, but because this is the way to live out instruction from Jesus himself, as explained in the Great Commission. So the last words of Jesus in Matthew 28 are, all authority in heaven on earth in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded to you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Dr. Edwards outlined what happens next so beautifully in her lecture, so I'm not going to go into it here. But she talks about the power coming from on high. So do we see Jesus of Nazareth with us in the same manner that he was with his disciples in Matthew 28? No, we do not. Does that make Jesus and his promise a lie? By no means. The Spirit and the Spirit's power to energize the church is the fulfillment of what Jesus promised to us. So if he is with us in this way, we ought to embrace the person of the Spirit in this way. Now, of course we have to acknowledge that it's God's work and only God can do this work. We can ask and invite the Spirit. It's the Spirit's work to do, of course. We're not in control. This is not a genie, right? But praying, uh, we also have to acknowledge that this might seem very weird to others. Praying for words of knowledge, praying for gifts of healing, praying for the gifts of tongues, that is praying against the laws of nature. I'll admit that. But isn't defying nature at the heart of the Christian life? The natural order of things would mean that a young shepherd boy would be dominated in battle by a seasoned warrior giant. But you know from your own work, Dr. Doak, that the anointing of God meant that David was triumphant over Goliath. The natural order of things is that sin and death rule the earth, and when we die, we descend to the dead. But through the power of the resurrection, Jesus topples the natural order and raises believers to life. The natural order of things is for predators to attack their prey. 
but we believe that Jesus will usher in a coming kingdom wherein the lion lays down with the lamb. We believe in a supernatural God who accomplishes wonders, and God invites us to participate in that supernatural work through the person of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to look around us very long to realize that we need the work of the Spirit. According to the scriptures, the person of the Spirit is known to bring comfort in Acts, conviction in Acts, unity in Ephesians, peace in Galatians, as well as love, joy, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Do we have a church fully characterized by these fruits of the Spirit? No? Then we should embrace the Spirit more fully. Do we have a world evangelized and confessing the gospel of Jesus? No? Then we embrace the Spirit. So the question for us is, why don't we embrace the Spirit? We need to ask ourselves, why do we hedge our bets when it's really the Spirit of God's reputation on the line, not ours? What is it about our wealthy, technologically advanced, hyper-rationalistic, human-centered Western culture that makes us think that the promise of Jesus to be with us always is null and void? Or what makes us think that we don't desperately need the Spirit of God? Finally, the work of the Spirit is to energize and empower the church. Is the church growing by leaps and bounds here in the USA? No. Best case scenario estimates say that it's flatlining. Worst case scenario estimates say that Christian conversions are declining precipitously. In fact, deconversion is becoming more and more con uh, common. So if we look at the energized corners of the globe, and I'm not necessarily talking about different standards of what is a miracle or what is not a miracle, we have to see that it's those places where believers who embrace the bold reliance of the wonder-working power of the Spirit, that's where we see rapid growth in the church. So, we American believers need to embrace a little bit of humility. I want to give a shout out to my, my uh, fellow professor from a different continent, right? We need to embrace humility and look to our brothers and sisters abroad. We need to look to their example and be willing to learn from them, as well as the generations who've come before us. We need to be able to say, and I'll just quote the song, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Payne. Thank you. And so I'm just going to have you remain oh, yeah. standing and invite <laughs> Dr. Doak to come up. Um, and you have five minutes to respond to one another. I think it was so great that you quoted that passage in Galatians about the fruits of the Spirit. Yes. That was beautiful. Oh, here you go. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generousness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Yes. None of those things involve miraculous fireworks displays, but the very hard work of taking up the cross in your life, which Jesus has commanded us to do, I, I could make a lifetime out of that, don't you think? Like, that's the work of the Spirit, but that's very different from, I think, some of the other things that, it, like... Do you acknowledge that there's a distinction between those kind of works in the Spirit and, like, other kinds of things? Absolutely. I think the fruits of the Spirit are essential if we're going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit and if we're going to celebrate and get excited about the gifts of the Spirit. Because if there's one thing, so I grew up in the charismatic church. My dad was a pastor. He used to have people come to him all the time with, with very zany things that were, I think, as you mentioned, potentially damaging to the belief of others. Um, and so... I think that the fruits of the Spirit are an excellent testing ground to see. Mm. Is someone exhibiting those fruits? Mm. Doesn't matter what kind of wonder-working they're doing because those fruits are the evidence of the presence of the Spirit in somebody's life. Because in the Bible, there's lots of different like, kind of wonders that people do that um, are not of the Spirit of God. Totally. So. Yeah. Do you, think the, do you <laughs> think that in light of 
basic experience of what we see in the world. And I realize that there's a counter-argument here, which is like the argument from silence. Well, yes. just because something isn't happening or you're not experiencing it doesn't mean it's real, you know? It's like, I'm like, you know, the frustrated male college student, like, I can't find a girlfriend. There are no girls in the world. It's like, well, there were some problems, you know, with that. Maybe it was me, <laughs> not the world. Okay, I get that. I get that. Having said that, though, don't you think there's something to the just basic human reality acknowledgement that, like, we do seem to be living in a time of a certain kind of silence from God. I don't see the, you know, big seas being split. I don't see mountains being tossed into the sea. Jesus used that image of, of faithful prayer. We, we have a lot of cell phones. The, the, uh, and un, as, as you pointed out, an unbelieving world is watching. Where is it? Oh, yeah. Well, okay, so you're saying that in order for us to embrace a fully maximal, maximal yeah. view of the Spirit, we need to have documented evidence or just like see, or just seeing work. it happening all over the place like if i said like who has seen someone raised from the dead like a third of you should raise have raised your hand right oh yeah so okay i'll i'll maybe I someone admit. did raise their hand and i missed it okay if i missed it come talk to me afterward okay but yeah me too yeah I wanna, no. <laughs> come talk to all of us yeah about yeah, that. yeah yeah um okay so i think that if if we so first off i, I want to address one of one of the points that you said about like are there believers elsewhere who've who've witnessed things that, I mean, okay, there are a couple of different responses. One is, yeah. I actually think it's not enough to say, oh, they have different standards for telling the truth in other parts of the globe. So I think we need to not necessarily patronize people in other parts of the world that way. We need to say, like, we accept your, the testimony that you're giving us, and we need to ask ourselves, like, what is it that is preventing us from embracing that? Right. Um, and also, I don't mean to, I don't want to patronize people in other parts of the world. Yeah. I, do, I do want to say, I think it's just obvious, though, that people have different standards for what they will call a miracle and what they will not call a miracle. Like, that just seems I, obvious. Okay, I think, I think, though, that we should not submit our standards for what we think is miraculous to, like, what we know from empirical knowledge. So it is truly miraculous. I mean, my son has had brain surgery, and I would be totally cool with the, the doctor speaking in tongues and also performing great surgery and right? also right yeah, yeah. i yeah. mean i certainly want yeah. that to happen but but any like i don't want to um downplay the work of the spirit by saying that um it needs to be submitted to like mm. my pretty limited understanding of empirical knowledge because we know that actually scientific knowledge changes from from era to era yeah we're okay. looking down and see okay what so about i want no 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 oh. it's my turn to ask you <laughs> i was i was getting away with it there yeah, yeah. Okay, so this argument um, that it's, it's not what you experience or what you, like the people that you know, like yeah. what role does other people's testimony or even like the testimony throughout history play for you? Like, so yeah. for example, did Martin Luther not have an ecstatic experience? Did, you know, did Augustine? What, what's your response to that? Yeah, I mean, my response is twofold. Like, of, of course I would accept testimony. I, what I mean is, uh, there, are a lot of, there are a lot of testimonies out there, a lot of mm -hmm. anecdotes and a lot of stories. I don't think all of those pass, like, just basic tests of, like, did that, of just, like, experience and truth value. I think there's a way of talking about things that um, just, you know, pe people can say anything that they want. I think it's fair not just to say, I mean, if you want to get into a thing where you just start saying, hey, if anybody claims a miracle happened to them, we just have to believe it. I've got some problems yeah. for you. I've got a flow chart. I've got, some, I've got a ton of problems because people in other religions claim to have all kinds of miracles happening all the time. Are you going to claim that that's demonic every time or that they're just lying liars? But when it happens to you, it just happens, or in your faith tradition, then it's like totally happened. 
So in other words, I assume that there's like a lot of stories and things going on. I just don't assume, I don't want to be gullible as a person of faith, and I think that wrong reports are actually hurtful, and like people claiming to find Noah's Ark on Mount Ararat, but it's like a fake. That's well, happened numerous times. Like that hurt, I think that hurts faith. Yeah, I, I think that's why we need a really well-developed theology of the Spirit, which, incidentally, many Christian traditions have. Because yeah. to reduce the idea that you're embracing the, the power of the Spirit to your being gullible is a yeah. mischaracterization of the openness that many traditions have to the fruit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's fair. I'm going to pause our conversation here and invite our uh, lecturers just to, or debaters, just to have a rest <laughs> for a second. Um, if you have a question... Mm. So we're not going to go to questions yet, but if you have a question related to this topic, this is the time to like grab a piece of paper, start writing it out. Um, I've been, as we've listened, this is not just a question that is just in our heads. Here you are, it's Wednesday, we're all here, faculty here as well. This is a question that's really close to our hearts as believers. How active is the Spirit, the Spirit of God in our world? Can we expect that when we pray, God will answer? Should we not bother to pray for people who are sick? Like how the questions, I think Dr. Doak and Dr. Payne raised a lot of questions. Um, Dr. Doak brought up the very true fact that there are a lot of false claims. That's fact, that's real. There, there are a lot of false claims about miracles. Um, and so what do you do with that? Does that mean that there are no miracles? And then um, Dr. Payne talked about our need to like seek God mm. and seek the Spirit and listening to the global church and looking through history and listening to the voices of thousands of years of followers of Christ and followers of Yahweh and their testimonies. And so for me, both of our debaters brought up really important questions that as they were talking I wasn't just in my head I was in my heart and I'm like yeah what do you do what do you do then what do you do then what about that what about that and, and so these are real things after you leave this this session you're going to go out to class some of you poor things are going to take an exam hopefully anyone exam oh, oh see God no is real God That's is right. with us Maximal Holy Spirit. Maxima. Yeah. Cece said, see, God is real. I wasn't arguing God's not real. <laughs> I know. Okay. I'm an Australian. We say random okay. things. <laughs> um, but how, how much can we expect that, that God will be involved in our lives, the Spirit of God? Um, we are collecting questions as much as possible. We want to keep on topic today. So I'm going to be filtering the questions a little bit, and I know our TAs will be as well. Uh, maybe we have a question already for our debaters. We're going to take a live question right here. Uh, yeah, I think... My, uh, hi, my name's Owen. And uh, my question was actually for Dr. Doak about the minimal point of view because uh, it's kind of like an idea of judging mir uh, a miracles and like trying to discern whether or not like is that miracle uh, from God. From a minimal point of view, how would you, how would you say like your future, like how would you say like that the miracle given by God or just how would, how would uh, like is it like similar in terms of biblical works, if it's not, how do you judge mm. that it occurs in our daily lives and it's going from God? I don't know, just, I guess my yeah. general question is, how do you, 
how do you judge yeah, what a miracle you. is like from a minimal point of view? How do you know what the God gives Yeah, you? I hear you. Thanks, Owen. How do I know whether a miracle has occurred or not? I mean, I, I guess I don't know. Like, I don't have, like, a 20-point rubric. I'm not a scientist. I imagine scientists are really into having very strict criterion. I'm not even an empiricist deeply. I, I'm not, you know, so the, the appeal is not from that point of view. I don't know. I think it is very personal, though. I think it is very personal and embodied. I think for a person to say, like, something miraculous has happened in my life, like, that's something that cannot be gainsaid by another person very eas easily, which is why I said I have no interest in looking at someone and be like, you said a miracle happened? No, it didn't. Like, I'm, I'm not like the miracle police. I'm not setting myself up like that at all. Um, I will inject a little bit of a personal story, though, which is I actually came to faith in a deeply, deeply charismatic Christian setting where these kind of things were occurring a lot. Um, and maybe you can, you can dismiss my points here by way of my bi biography. I'm willing to open myself up to that. Um, almost all of the people that I went to church with have deconverted from faith, and that spirituality of miracles and signs and wonders proved to be not sustainable for them and led to immense disappointment, and I had to fight through years of my life to keep my faith through seeing that. So what's my judgment about whether it's real? I, I don't know, and maybe some of the things that we experienced were actually like really real and, you know, the devil came in and disrupted us because we were really onto something. I, you know, I, that's possible, too. But to your question, Owen, how do I judge? I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I like Dr. Payne's idea about the fruits of the Spirit being something that is a way of measuring basic Christian faith, um, not claims about this or that. So, I don't know. It's not a very good answer, Owen, and I, I'm, I, I guess I'm not sure. No, no, you can't have a follow-up. We have too many questions. Too many questions, Owen. But that was a good one. Thank you. We can talk later. Yeah. I think we have another live question. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to get shot for saying this. No. Oh, really I like that already. <laughs> Give us a question. Um, if we embrace the spirit as having a full role in the world, do we say that scientific knowledge is also a part of the gift that the spirit gives us? That's not a capital punishment worthy question. Yeah, no, I actually <laughs> think that that is, I, I think that, you know, embracing the advances and the benefit of scientific like, exploration to humanity can easily fit under a maximalist view. In fact, you could even talk about it in terms of like a, as a gift of, a kind of gift of knowledge, like if someone who's, who's particularly gifted in a particular way. So I think one mischaracterization of embracing like this idea that the spirit is alive and working in a maximal way is to say that it somehow that belief is counter to science or counter to like a robust intellectual life. So yeah, great question. I think it, ca I think it could be though. It could be depending on how someone takes it. I mean, I don't think it has to be. Yeah, I, I agree with you, but it could be though. Yeah, I, but I think it's worth saying that there are plenty of anti-intellectual churches that don't embrace a robust theology of the Spirit. Right. So it's not the Spirit's fault, is what I'm saying. That's fair. Yeah. All right. We have so many live questions today. I love it. Dr. Edwards, you can jump in on these too, by the way, if you want to. What, okay. do, you, what do you think about the science thing? Does that, do you feel? I think God, I don't think, I think in our society we have separated science and religion in general, but Christianity, and I don't, I think it's a false separation. Totally. God created our mind, he created our intellect, he gave us ideas, and so, so I think God does inspire us in all of our careers. Totally. 
Yeah, so well, I, don't, I don't see a separation between the two. I don't see a conflict. I mean, I would ask hypothetically, you can raise your hand in your heart if you want, but like how many of you grew up in households that you felt were fundamentally opposed to science and had derogatory things to say about scientific experts? I bet it's a lot of you, actually, and those were Christian households that were deeply anti-intellectual in that sense, and, and churches that in fact did not have a robust idea about these kinds of things. I mean, I think that's just a fact. Like, I grew up in a family like that, too. Yeah. And that's, I a, think that's an American, that's like a classic American quality to be like, yeah. the experts are wrong about everything all the time. But you know? I think that that transcends, that's almost, that is a separate conversation to me from how involved should the spirit be in our lives. But there's a bias against science as being able to speak, as the questioner suggested, as yeah. part of God's working in the world, which I believe it is, so. We, got another we have another question over there, Soli. <laughs> Hi, my name's Soli, and my question kind of had to do with um, what you were talking about on Monday when um, you couldn't decide on whether you wanted to do missions or the other thing. Um, um, you got suggested to ask the Holy Spirit specifically, and I wanted to know, is there a difference between asking God for something and asking the Holy Spirit, and like whether to know the difference between the two when you need help? Yeah, that's a beautiful question. I think it's interesting that in Scripture, especially in the New Testament, you see the author of different texts kind of going back and forth between the term God and Holy Spirit and sometimes using them interchangeably. And so I think from my, my experience and my study of Scripture, I sometimes ask Jesus for help. I sometimes ask God. I sometimes pray to the Holy Spirit. And if you've been in one of my classes, you've seen me pray to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so, in my experience and what I see in Scripture, I, I don't think there is necessarily a distinction. Are we ready for another question? Oh, yes. Okay, we are ready. Cool. We see you in the front here. White Converse shirt hand. next. Come up here next, yeah. Hi, my name is Tyler. Um, Dr. Doke, it sounded like you've experienced a lot of disappointment that sometimes comes with expect expectant prayer and faith. And my question for you is, how are we supposed to believe in a God that can't or won't perform miracles? And then furthermore, how are we supposed to pray if those prayers are formed around what we think God might want to do for us? For your example was resurrection, and that's a really extreme thing that happens in the Bible. But how are we supposed to pray and put that through the filter of what we think God might actually do instead of just praying expectantly and letting him decide what he wants to do? Awesome. Really good questions. I don't know that, I, there was a bunch of questions actually in there. I don't know that I could answer them all fully, but I, I heard you ask in the beginning, like, did, have I felt disappointment in unanswered prayer? I actually haven't felt a lot of disappointment in unanswered prayer, especially recently, but, this ha but I have seen other people who have, um, and for all kinds of reasons, not just because miraculous things didn't happen. I will say this about my prayer life, though, and I'm not citing this like I'm some hero of the faith or like this is some great victory. I'm just, this, is, this has been a spiritual victory for me. I have come to see my prayer life less about asking for God to do things for me, give me money. I mean, how many prayers, I think we talked about this on a previous panel, like, how many prayers are some version of God, give me money, you know? I think there's actually a time in life where, when faith is being built, particularly in the place that y'all are at, you know, 18, 19, 20, you're like thinking about, you're like in that building phase of your life, like, I need to acquire love and a house and a job and money, and it's like a lot of your prayer life might end up being just spiritually oriented around that. But there's a break that comes in life where it's like, that just isn't enough anymore. Like, I have enough stuff, you know? Like, I've seen enough, you know, in a sense. And I'm not saying my faith is, like, bulletproof. But just that, for me, I've started to orient my prayer life more around God help me see people around me who need 
you know, to, it's very, it, it can be very subtle. So, I mean, part of this for me is like, which biblical book are we living in? We could think of ourselves as living in a story, like a biblical book. I don't know. You brought up like Acts and Corinthians a lot. Like we're living in that story. And I agree that we're living in that story. Do you think though, Dr. Payne, that we're also living in other stories too? Like we're living in the book of Esther, which is a book in which people have to like fight for their way in a very strange circumstance and they don't hear from God at all. Or the book of Daniel, where it's like you're trapped in another place and you have to use your skills, you could say in a way. Or the book of James, which is very practical, just like ask God for wisdom, treat people the right way. Like, Yeah, I mean, I think that's absolutely, uh, I, I totally agree with that. Now, I don't know, because I'm not a Hebrew Bible scholar, but I can't remember a particular time in Esther where it, it basically says God is not speaking. God does not speak outwardly, and God is not mentioned by name in the book of Esther, which is a really distinct book in that way. Yeah. But, you know, it's just, it's like, it, it, I, I, I could see the book of Esther, and I'm not claiming like, oh, the book of Esther is at the center of the Bible. We should all be orienting our lives around Esther. But I think, it's a, I think it's a cool book for thinking about living in a hard time when you feel like God is silent. God is there, but it's kind of behind the scenes a little I, bit. And I'd like, yeah, so Esther I think might be an exception, but I think uh, to, to my response to you, because I actually think that Daniel and James are great examples of people being open to a maximal role for the spirit because Daniel includes like someone who decides that they're going to fast and pray and then has this like ecstatic vision ecstatic prophetic vision that is a blessing to the people of God in the era in which it happened and it continues to be a blessing to the people of God today and James is actually the book that we read from when we all jointly prayed with you all and anointed you with oil for for divine healing so that's the passage that people with a maximal perspective actually go to again and again and again. So I, I think that it's, I, I wouldn't say that just because we're living in the book of Acts, like the time, you know, the, when the Spirit is being poured out on all of us, um, that that means that we're not also living in those, those books. Rachel, did you have a question? I realize right. I didn't answer like half that question, but let's go to the next one. <laughs> Hi, my name is Alexis. I kind of had the same question, but I guess a little bit more like advice than a question. I know that you kind of answered it a little bit, but for example, I have children, and if one of my children fell sick, you would pray, right? It just feels natural. You would pray for that healing, and but what if it doesn't happen? You know, like what spiritually do we do next? And that's always been my question. Like, we pray for these miracles. Our parents are sick. They die of cancer. And then it's, it's a blow. So, like, how do we pray? How do we deal with it spiritually when maybe our miracles or our prayers aren't answered? Mm. And that's, I think, the struggle with, like, the Holy Spirit and accepting it. Mm. May, may I speak to this one? Please, yeah. I, I can relate to that um, very personally. Um, my my mum was diagnosed with cancer. You meant mention that and at the same time that my mum was diagnosed with cancer it was actually when I was in grad school during when all the Holy Spirit was I was learning about the Holy Spirit um, when she was diagnosed one of my professors was also diagnosed with cancer and they both went through radiation and chemotherapy together almost simultaneously um, and my mum passed away and my professor survived the cancer and recovered and so what do you do when that happens? When you pray and you know you read in scripture, you hear people around you talk about miracles and signs and wonders, and you see that God didn't answer your prayer for healing. 
um, within my specific case, um, when I was praying for healing for my mum, I kept on thinking about how God has given us eternal life and how death is like a thin veil and it's just like we feel, feel like it's a brick wall but in scripture it talks about it. It doesn't use the term thin veil but it's just like a, a thin veil, like, like Ikea curtain. Um, and, it's, and then you just you continue in eternal life. And so when I was praying for her healing, it was interesting that th- that thought kept on coming into my mind, like I will heal your mum either in this life or she will be healed in the next. And so, so that's one thing. And then also there's mystery and there's the sovereignty of God. We don't talk a lot about mystery um, within, if you grow up Protestant, we want to understand, critique, unpack, dissect everything about God. But the reality is there's so much mystery. We, we live such a short life and there's no way our human minds can comprehend everything. And so I think there's just also the sovereignty and the mystery of God. We, we don't know why God healed my professor and then my mum passed away. And so it's, 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 for me, it was trusting that God is good and kind and that there's more to this life than just what we have, the 80 or 100 years, 100, well, maybe some of us will live to 100, hopefully, but the short period of life that we have. I think you'll definitely live to 100. As, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> you're full of life. Full of life. How, as we, as we close here in the last minute, Dr. Edwards, I wonder if we could give you the last word, just 60 seconds, like going forward from here, I know there's a lot of unanswered questions. What can you leave us with in terms of just a kind of pastoral exhortation about how we can live in light of the Spirit? I, I think some of the questions that were raised today in particular, and you could hear your, your fellow students, they're questions from the heart. This is not this distant concept. This is something that really affects our day-to-day life. And so what I would encourage people do, to do is to lean in, to pray, to seek God. If there's something that one of the professors said that really stuck close to you or something that was said on Monday that is kind of stuck in your head, stuck in your heart, I just pray that you, you lean in and you, and you read scripture, research, study. Is it true that the Holy Spirit is maximally involved? And then, like Dr. Payne said, should we embrace it then? What are we doing just sitting back? Like, should we lean in? And then what do we do, as Dr. Doak said, with some of those questions that aren't just in the head, they're like practically, like we know people who are ill, should we pray? And so I would encourage you to lean forward and to to seek God in these answers and to pursue the Spirit. Yeah. That is Thank my thought. Thank you, Dr. Edwards. Um, let us, yeah, round of applause for our debaters on the spot debating. Mm-hmm.